Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, good morning. My name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and welcome to Blue Ridge Church. Whether you're hanging out with us in person or you're tuning in online, we just want to tell you we're thankful you're here. What we're talking about this morning, we're talking about a series that we've called Written in Stone. And what we're doing in this series is we're just going through the Ten Commandments that are found in Exodus 20. And we're going through these, and and we all kind of know them, right, because they're the most famous of the laws in the Old Testament, but they're not actually the only laws in the Old Testament. There's actually over 600 laws in the entire New Testament, which is great news, right? Because we don't have enough rules as it is, you know, stoplights and speed limits and where you can and can't pick your nose, I mean, right? So they become easy to shrug off, you know, all these rules and things. And I know not one of you probably got up this morning thinking, man, I can't wait to go to church to learn some more rules. Not one of us did. But I've been thinking about it a little bit differently because I'm 30, right? And so I got to think in pictures and in memes and stuff like that. And so let me show you this picture. How about this dude, right? Look at him. That looks like an activity that's going to end in a prayer request, doesn't it? And check out this next guy. I know what you're thinking, but don't out yourself. These are not pictures of your family in West Virginia. I found them on Google, (laughs) promise. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at these guys, to look at these pictures and say, that guy's gonna get hurt. He's not using that equipment the way that it's meant to be used. And when we think about it, that's what rules and laws are really all about, that they're not designed to keep us from having fun But rules and laws are designed to keep us safe and to keep other people safe. So think about stoplights and speed limit signs and seatbelts. And this is exactly what God's law is all about. (laughs) That God's law aren't just a bunch of boxes that we have to check, because when we start to think about them that way, we miss out on God's purpose for giving us the law in the first place. God's purpose in giving us the law is to give us life and to give us life as he designed for us to have it, life that's lived to the fullest. And it's not because it's a desire to make us boring, but it's God's desire for us to experience freedom. And so in Exodus 20, as we look, we even see that promise from time to time. The promise is that so that we will live long in the land, or so that we'll live a life today that's filled with God's blessings. So that's learning number one, is that God's design is God's best for my life. That God's design is God's best for my life. And Really, nobody comes home with new furniture from Ikea in a box 
you find the instruction manual and you throw the instructions away as soon as you get it. I mean, unless you're a man, you probably might do that. But no, you, you don't do that. Just start slapping pieces together like you're the one that designed it. What you do is you open the box, you find the instructions, you turn to that page, make sure you've got all the equipment, make sure you've got all your tools ready, and then you start building and following the instructions that are there because it makes sense to follow the instructions of the one who designed the bookshelf, and it makes sense to follow the instructions of the one who made us. That God's design is God's best for my life. And it's not because God is mean, and it's not because God is you know, controlling, and it's not because God desires for us to live a boring life with his thumb on us, but God desires this for us because he loves us, because he longs for us to live walking on a path of blessing. And so what commandment are we covering today? Exodus 20, 13 says, you must not murder. So this is commandment number six is don't murder. So everybody's like, yeah, we're getting out early today, right? And this is actually my trick because as, as the new guy, I don't have to be better than Scott. I just have to be shorter than Scott. And then everybody be like, yeah, let's put him back up, right? Okay, so we'll see y'all next week. Don't murder anybody this week. Try, try your hardest, all right? But there's more to it than that, of course. But why is there more to it than that? Because Jesus came along and he helped us to see not just the letter of the law, but the heart and the purpose of the law. Let's see, one perspective on keeping laws is one that we've already talked about, right? They'd keep us from having fun. Another perspective on the law is that the laws exist so I can do the bare minimum, right? So I can go just a little bit above the speed limit so I know right where I need to be. And what that does is if I do the bare minimum, then I can check a box and then I can become prideful. We actually do this with this commandment all the time, don't we? And I'm not a bad person. I'm, I'm a decent person. I've never killed anybody. And so a couple of different ways to look at God's law is, one, they keep us from having fun, or, or two, they exist to, to show us what the bare minimum is and lower that bar so we can come over it. But either way, if we look at God's law in those two ways, we're going to miss out on God's best for our life. And this is what Jesus came to remind us of when he says in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
And so it's quick to look at this and, and kind of do some equating pretty quickly, right? Well, it looks like murder and anger are the same thing. But I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He's not saying they're the same thing. Jesus is saying that murder and anger are just as serious in God's eyes. Because what happens is when I get angry or I murder someone, I violated the heart behind this commandment. I violated the purpose behind this commandment. And the heart and the purpose in it and the message in this commandment is that God values life. That God values life and that human life especially is sacred to God. And so it leads us to learning number two, people matter to God. Just as simple as that, right? That people matter to God. And this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 9, 6, it says, God made human beings in his own image. And so God, as the creator, as the one who has given me life and given you life, every single one of us has the glory of God on us. I mean, do we think about this? That we're made in the image of God, and if I have the glory of God on me and you have the glory of God on you, that means that I'm responsible and you're responsible for the way that we interact with one another. That God truly cares because we're made in his image how we reflect his glory and what we do with his glory in another person. And so he cares about the way that I treat people and the way that I view people and the way that I talk to people, the way that I talk about people. And this is why God hates the things that we create like prejudice and racism and oppression because we see that human life and life is sacred and important to God and that people matter to God. And so when my anger consumes me, what I've really done is I've forgotten what Jesus summed up when he summed up all of the Old Testament law. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And so what we see is that when my anger consumes me, I'm going to violate this command. I'm going to violate this commandment because what's happened is that when my anger consumes me, I've made myself more important than you. And when my anger consumes me, I've forgotten my proper place in creation, and I've forgotten your proper place in creation. And when my anger consumes me, I've put my needs over your needs and the needs of other people. And when my anger consumes me, I've forgotten that I'm not the center of my world, that God is the center of my world, and he desires to be. 
And so even if we don't have an anger, even if we don't have a murder problem, I mean, odds are we have some anger in our lives, don't we? And if we dive a little bit deeper and say, well, I'm not, you know, super, I don't fly off the handle and, and stuff like that. Well, dive a little bit deeper into really what makes us angry and we find that we've got a selfishness problem. And you dive a little bit deeper into a selfishness problem and you find the core of that is a fear problem. And so the core of my anger is selfishness and fear that drives me. And what I fear is losing something that I have, that I already have, or I have a fear of missing out on something that I know or think that I should have coming to me. That I've already got it and I'm, I'm fearful that I'm gonna lose it or I don't have it yet, but it's right around the corner and you stand in the way of me getting it. Well, I'm gonna become fearful and selfish. And so we become fearful that I'm gonna be late to an appointment that I have and so I begin to think about myself and get my own world and I become selfish and then I become aggressive on the road because I got places to go. And people in Virginia, they don't have places to go, right? I mean, just based on the way they drive, there's no way. And so we get tempted to do things, you know, that we wouldn't normally do and, uh, and throw up a, a half a peace sign, you know, or the one-fingered wave. And, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, don't do it in the parking lot, all right? But I become mad not just at strangers and, and angry with strangers because I'm selfish and fearful, but I become mad at my wife or angry with my wife because, you know, I deserve respect. And the way that she said whatever she said puts me in fear that I'm going to lose that respect or I've lost it already. You know, I become fearful and angry and selfish when a business partner makes a decision and it puts me at risk of things that I care about, my security and my finances and my future and the way that I thought everything was gonna work out. And so I become angry or, or, or my neighbor puts a sign in his yard that makes it clear that he's not voting the right way. And if he votes that way, well, then I'm gonna lose something that I care about. I'm gonna... I'm going to lose a retirement earner. I'm going to lose a tax breaker. I'm going to lose an ideology or something that's important to me, something that I believe in. And listen, I'm not saying that these things aren't important. They certainly are. But what Jesus seems to tell us is that if my perception of these things infringes or threatens my ability to love you well, then I violated the commandment and the heart and the purpose of God's commandment here. That the purpose of it is to remind me, certainly that life is sacred, but it reminds me that I'm not important than my neighbor. I'm not more important than you, and you're not more important than me that I'm an image bearer. I've got God's image on me because I'm created and, and so do you. And every single person, regardless of how they drive, is made in the image 
of God. And so everyone deserves my respect and dignity and my patience, even people that like cats. You know, it's, it's true. I'm just reading it, you know. Since we're all made in the image of God, Jesus makes it a priority to deal with our anger because there's a different way to live. I don't have to destroy other people. I don't have to destroy myself and the relationships that I care about. Instead, I can honor and add value and add worth to other people. So anger is a big deal to God all the way from murder to the smallest little things, like my own fear and resentment and selfishness. So it's important to God because people matter to God. Learning number three is that my words have power. My words have power. And so Ephesians 4, 26, the first half of it says, be angry and do not sin. Man, don't you love this verse, right? Like, the Bible says I can be angry, yeah? Well, it says we can be angry. It says we can be upset about stuff. But what it says is that we don't have to let it end the way that we normally do. That we can be angry, but we don't have to be harmful. You know, it's okay to be angry because we can't 100% control every thought that goes through our head that then becomes a feeling that then becomes an emotion. I mean, we just don't have a filter that good that can get it 100% right all the time. But it doesn't have to always end with us being harmful to another person. We don't have enough time to to get into it all this morning, but I'd encourage you to read all of Ephesians chapter four. I mean, it's just good, good stuff. And Paul spends the whole chapter talking about it, talking about that there was an old way that we used to do things, and now there's a new way that we get to do things. And this new way puts ourselves last, that anger and and all the other emotions that we feel They don't have to lead to tearing other people down and disrespecting other people. It just doesn't. That that may have been the old way that I would have done something, but now in Christ, we have an opportunity to do things in a new way, to look at ourselves from a different perspective, to look at other people from God's perspective and to write a different kind of story. Proverbs 10, 19 says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Don't you love this verse? In fact, I got some family listening from South Carolina, so I'm gonna read this again. So uh, Proverbs 10, no, I'm just, I'm not gonna do you like that. But I love this verse because it's just so common sense, isn't it? I mean, How long have we been learning this since we were that high? If you don't have anything nice to say, that's right, don't say anything. And so uh, what happens is that we forget this principle that my words have 
power. And what I forget is that I have an opportunity to think about that very fact that my words have power before I say something that I'm gonna regret. You know, it's like the old tired illustration about the toothpaste. You know, it's, it's easy to squeeze all the toothpaste out of the tube, a whole lot easier than it is to put all the toothpaste back in the tube. And here's just a word of advice. If your toddler ever does that, just burn the house down. It's easier to deal with. And insurance, they understand. They're like, oh, the toothpaste? Yeah, we get it, you know? But we've all been in this situation that as soon as the words left our lips, we knew that we wanted to take it back. We knew that we had regret. We knew that it was gonna hurt somebody that we loved. And so next time, the invitation from this verse is to just bite my lip. If that's what it takes to literally not say something that I don't even really mean, bite my lip. Because my words have power. And instead of throwing up that half a peace sign like you want to do, tuck one of those fingers in, the other finger, you know, and take this one and point it at me and ask some hard questions about me. Like, why am I so upset? Why am I getting bent out of shape about this? This happened at 7.30 this morning on the way to work, and it's ruined my whole day. Why am I, uh, am I being selfish here? Am I being fearful here? And ask some really tough questions. And I love this encouragement from Paul. He says in Ephesians 4, 29, he says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And so there's a command here not to just do uh, the bare minimum, right? But it's to speak life into other people that not only do my words have power to cut people down, but my words have power and ability to speak life into people and to love people and, and to speak honor over them and respect and dignity and value and all those things eventually go to honor the God that created them and the God that created you. Now listen, I don't want to come across like, okay, just deal with it. Just deal with your anger because really dealing with my anger and dealing with our anger, it's not easy. It's something that we learn how to do. Ever since we're you know, that high, we learn how to deal with it. And it requires a lot of practice. Which Learning number four is real straightforward. It says resolving anger takes practice. Resolving anger takes practice. This comes out of Ephesians 4, 26, the second half. It says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And so the principle behind this is that don't carry today's anger into tomorrow. The command here is to deal with it, to deal with it. That Don't make it something that it's not by carrying it all day with you. The invitation is to deal with it and deal with it quickly. Now, I've got to be 
we got to be careful with this one because it's easy to get, you know, box checky and, and legalistic about this one too. And then you head into your marriage with false expectations about, oh, uh, every night we put our head down on the pillow, we go to bed happy with each other. Well, I don't know if that's my experience all the time, okay? And it's all the time my fault. You hear that, honey? It's my fault. Um, but we head into it with false expectations, and I don't think it, that it's necessarily as important that, you know, I go to bed with a smile on my face every night. But what's important is the principle that anger builds, that anger has a tendency to build in my life. Because the longer that I tell myself a story about you and what you did to me and how you cut me off and how you voted or didn't vote or whatever it is, as long as I tell myself that story, then I begin to discount your side of the story. And I begin to discount the value and the honor and the dignity and the respect that you deserve. And then my anger turns into a resentment. And then I begin to play that resentment over and over and over again in my mind. And, you know, you got to be honest that sometimes it feels kind of good, you know. I'm going to just be mad a little while. But what happens is it leads us to a place where we can't help but sin. Because when I tell myself that story over and over again, I'm tempted to tell other people what they did to me, and then I'm gossiping. Or I bottle it up, and then it blows up, all right? And I have no control over it. And so the invitation here is to practice dealing with our anger a little bit more quickly than we have in the past. Practice resolving my anger before it blows up into a conflict and practice by, you know, giving ourselves some tools, you know, assume the best of other people, assume the best of my spouse and not the worst. Because let's not forget the purpose of this whole commandment is that it's an invitation for us to live life that's open and free not enslaved to the stories that I tell myself about you, not enslaved in bitterness and anger and resentment towards other people. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4, 27, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And this is exactly what we've been talking about, right? Is that all that anger and turned into self-justification that turns into resentment, it leads to one thing. And the one thing is that the enemy gets what he wants instead of God getting what he wants. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief or the enemy comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So this is what makes this commandment so important. You know, don't murder. Sure, we can see how that affects us and affects other people around us. But don't let your anger lead you to sin either because people matter to God. And my words have power. 
that God desires for us to live a life that's rich with his blessings and free. But I can't live that life that God wants for me and that life that God desires for me if I make myself more important than you. And I can't live that life if my anger divides me from you know, my friends and the people that I work with and the people that I care about in my family. I can't live that life that God designed for me if I'm walking around carrying all my fear and, and resentment with me and grudges and stuff. So Paul goes on to close out his section on anger with this. He says in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgive one another as quickly and as thoroughly as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. So it sounds easy, doesn't it? I mean, just knock it off. If you're mad at somebody, just stop. Cut it out. But don't read it as easy just because it's direct. It's direct. This is hard work to respond to people the way that Jesus desires and really longs for me to respond to people. It's hard work to respond to people the way that Jesus responds to people. And this is learning number five, is that I can't deal with my anger without Jesus. I just can't. Carrying around open accounts, thinking about they owe me this and they owe me that, and I can't believe they did this, and, and walking around mad at other people and walking around with grudges that I was never meant to carry from situations that happened weeks ago or or months ago, or even years ago, carrying around grudges like that. It's not the way that God has designed us to live. It's not the life that he desires for us. And the commandments make that super clear because the commandments aren't just a bunch of rules that I can keep so that I can make God happy with me. They're an instruction manual for the best possible way to live our life, and there are instructions that come straight from the one that designed us and made us and created us in his own image. It's an instruction manual for how we are designed to live in proper relationship with God and in proper relationship to other people. Listen, I, I don't know what your next step is. With this commandment, with the, with the challenge today, with the invitation today, I don't know. But you do. That for some of us, we know that for a long time that our anger hasn't had a rightful place in our lives. That, it, that we've gotten, it's gotten disordered in some way. And for some of us, we know that's, that's a God problem, right? That that we don't have God in the rightful place where he desires to be in our life. And what happens is in those moments, you know, where somebody's walking with God 
those moments of anger are just little speed bumps. But somebody who's not walking with God, that, that will derail a whole day and lead you to hurt somebody that you care about. Listen, I wouldn't stand a chance without Jesus. I wouldn't. And if I didn't invite him in to be in charge of my life and to show me and direct me and guide me and put my faith in him. And so maybe that's the step that you need to take for the very first time is just to say, Jesus, I don't understand what it looks like to, to follow you in all the you know, little details, but I know that I have no control over my anger and I need your help. Maybe some of you in the room, you know, you've followed Jesus for a while, but the anger always leads to a place where you never meant for it to go and, and you need to get, you need to talk to somebody about it. That's totally okay. Get some help. Talk to somebody about it. Get some counseling. But my encouragement today, wherever you are, don't wait. Don't sleep on it tonight and say, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. Take that step today. Because God desires for you to live a life as he's designed it because he loves you and he cares about you. So what step do you need to take today? Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks. Thanks for your word that you make it just abundantly clear that you love us and that you care about us. Not so that we can follow a bunch of rules uh, to make you happy or to do a little religious dance before you, but that you give us these things so that we can live a life as you designed it that's good for us and good for the people around us. And Jesus, I know in a message like this, it's tempting to, to walk away from it and say, well, it's just time to man up. You know, I, need to, I just need to figure this out. It's been an issue for way too long. I just need to do something different. And we're tempted towards taking a step without you. I pray that that would not be our temptation today. That we would take a step with you knowing that it's not perfection that you require from us, but it's our dependence upon you. So would you help us to walk with you? For those of us who need to take that first step today and put our faith in you for the very first time, or for those of us who need to take our hundredth step towards you in obedience to your word, I pray that you would give us the path and the courage to walk that path. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us this morning at Blue Ridge Church. Uh, if you got that Church Center app and uh, you did make a decision to, to follow Christ today, uh, you can go ahead and do that on that Church Center app and just send that in. And uh, we'd love to celebrate with you. Or if you got prayer requests or ways that we could be praying for you there, we'd love to be praying for you this week. But y'all have a great week. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you later.